Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to our passage for this evening, Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be, begin reading at, chapter, at verse 7 and then read through verse 19. So that's Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. I'm going to be reading for the American Standard Version, New American Standard Version. A couple times throughout the evening, we're going to be looking at Scripture, and actually I want you to turn to that and read it. So I'll try to pause and give you time to get there because several of the Scriptures we look at, I, I don't want to just refer to them or, or even quote them. I want us to actually look into the Word so we get the, the full impact of, of what it says in that place. So if I don't give you enough time, you know, say hold on or something, so... Wave your hand, jump up and down so that we can all get to that scripture before we start the reading of it. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing, and they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation, and I said, they always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, take care brethren, lest there be in any one of you an unbelieving, evil heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, that's when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness... Oh, whoops, I skipped one. Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he, they should not enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, this is a difficult passage for us to deal with tonight. And there's three reasons. The first reason is it's pretty obvious as we've been reading through it, and we'll look at it in a little bit more detail, hopefully, a little bit later in the message. But it is a very important and serious instruction for Christians. So whenever you're dealing with something that is important and serious, it's, it can be a little bit difficult. But it's also difficult for a second reason, and that is good Christian men differ on how to interpret this passage. Now, let me, first of all, define for you what I mean by good Christian men. When I say good Christian men, I mean men that believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. I mean men that believe the Bible is infallible. I mean men who believe the Bible is inerrant. I mean men who believe the Bible is sufficient. And I mean men who believe that the Bible is authoritative. But yet, good Christian men who believe all those things differ 
on how to understand this passage and other passages in the Bible as well. Now, I don't know if that troubles you or not, but honestly, it has troubled me my whole ministry and has never troubled me more than in preparing for this, minute, this message in this place at this time. Because God has given me a resolution to that trouble, but it's not one I ever held before. And I have never preached this message before. And pastor's never heard it, so he's shaking in his boots. <laughs> but doesn't it seem almost contradictory to you? We have an inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, and authoritative word of God. But then when men who believe in all of those things come to the inspired, infallible, inerrant, sufficient, and, and completely authority word of God, they have different understandings and interpretations and beliefs about that. That seems contradictory. And there's a tension there that all of my ministry, all of my Christian life, I've had difficulty resolving until coming to this place and coming to this time of preaching this message. Quite honestly, this is not the message that I prepared. It's not the message I told pastor that I was going to preach. It's the third message that I prepared. God threw two of them away. I, I thought they were so good. <laughs> so I'm going to share with you, before we get into the passage and actually apply it, I'm going to share with you the principles that we need to use when we come to apply and interpret difficult passages of Scripture where good Christian men disagree. So, turn your Bible to Isaiah. I'm never quite sure whether it's 55 or 56. Isaiah 55. Yeah, Isaiah 55. And I'm reminding myself to wait and let you get there. Fifty-five, we're going to pick up at verse 8. All right, here we go. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Now here it comes, declares the Lord. So this is, this is the Lord speaking, directly speaking. Of course, we're, as good Christian men, we know that the Lord speaks through every scripture, but this is his direct quotation, his direct words. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, what is God saying to us there? He uses two extremes. He talks about my, my thoughts, inner abstract ideas, my thoughts. Then way over on the opposite extreme, he talks about my ways, actions, physical things. And he says, my thoughts are not yours and my ways are not yours. Now let me ask you, what is in between God's thoughts and God's ways? Everything! Everything about God is in between there. He's not just saying my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not wise. He says nothing about me, 
nothing about me, my nature, my person, my desires, my heart, my will, my purposes, my plan, nothing about me is like anything about you. In fact, he tells about how different it is. Notice how he uses it. He says, my thoughts and my ways, how different are they than your thoughts and your ways? As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways higher than your thoughts and your ways. The first reason good Christian men differ is that God is absolutely incomprehensible to human thinking. There is nothing that we can think or feel or believe about God on our own that's even going to come close to being true. The only way we can know anything about God is if he reveals it to us. Look at verse 11 where he talks about that. So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. Apart from God, anything, apart from God's word, apart from the Bible, apart from the inspired, infallible, inerrant, sufficient, and authoritative word of God, anything we think, feel, believe, hope about God is going to be infinitely wrong. Now turn to another passage. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Again, I want you to get there. In fact, I'd really like for you to underline and mark these in your Bible. Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is Moses speaking, but under the inspiration of God. The secret things... Belong to the Lord our God. But the things that have been revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, in order that we might observe all the words of this law. The second resolution of why good Christian men, men who believe that the Bible is inspired and infallible and inerrant and sufficient, and yet they differ. The second reason is, although God has revealed to us some things in the Bible, that revelation is not exhaustive. He has not revealed to us everything that we would like to know about himself. He's not revealed, thank goodness, everything that we probably wish we don't know about ourselves. Pastor quoted this verse the other day, the heart is deceitful beyond measure. Who can know it? If God revealed to you how wicked and evil your sinful nature really was, you would be depressed all day long. He hasn't revealed everything about life. He hasn't revealed everything about the world. He hasn't revealed to us everything about Jesus. He hasn't revealed to us everything that there is to know spiritually. Now, he has, it says, revealed to us a lot. And he's revealed to us all that in his divine wisdom, he knows that we need in order to be saved and then to grow in sanctification. So he has revealed those things. In fact, he says, not only is he revealed to it, what does he expect of us? He expects us to observe all of it. So there's a lot that he has revealed, but there are some things, secret things, 
We don't even know what they are, let alone what the explanation is. There are some things we just don't know. Now turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Now that's getting us closer back to Hebrews in case you're wondering. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is the third reason why good Christian men differ. Men who believe the Bible's inspired and inerrant and infallible and sufficient and the authority for our lives. Good men who believe all those things still in some areas differ. Why? Verse 16. As in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Peter's writing about the Apostle Paul there, and, he, and he's saying that there are many... Th- Have you found that to be true? There are many things that the Apostle Paul writes about that, are, that is not easy to understand, that it is hard to understand, that it is difficult to understand. Turn back just a little bit. To Timothy, 2 Timothy. So what is the answer? How do we resolve this tension that good Christian men have different views on different issues in the Bible? Even though the Bible has been revealed to us by God, how are we going to uh, resolve that? It's going to be 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman. Now, that word translated workman there means laborer. And in that day and age, the laborer's job was a very, very difficult job. 12 to 14 hours without power tools, Pastor. (laughs) It was hard work. And Paul, uh, Paul is telling us here that we need to be diligent that we present ourselves as approved laborers, that we are working hard in the Word of God. It's kind of an interesting sideline here, that word workman, laborers. You know, wife and I have a business selling church insurance to churches. That makes sense, doesn't it? And... Um, when we go there, her job is to measure the outside, measure the inside, take notes on everything that's in the building, note any kind of possible problems that there might be in the building and any kind of special things that we might need to ensure and make sure she records all of that in a neat way on uh, several pieces of paper. My job is to drink coffee with the pastor. She's the diligent workman. This passage tells us that it is hard work, and in in order to resolve those difficulties, we need, first of all, to personally be studying the Word of God. You cannot rely, and I know pastor would say amen to this, you cannot rely on pastor's teaching and explanation. You can't rely upon my teaching and explanation. You can't rely on Lowell's or Greg's or Paul's, even though those are all good godly men who believe all those things that I told you just before. You can't rely upon that. 
You'll have to be digging in the Word yourself. But there's another resolution to that, and this is the one that was difficult for me. It's just above that in verse 14. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to argue about words which are to no profit or to ruin for the hearers. When it comes to interpreting the word of God and it comes to the differences between good Christian men, we need to discern the difference between differences that are important in a Christian's life and differences that are not so important. Now, that's hard for me to say. And, and it's easy for you to misunderstand. So, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying doctrine doesn't matter. I mean, I can't tell you how hard this is for me to say. I, I didn't want to preach. I wanted to get sick. <laughs> I'm not saying doctrine doesn't matter. But what I am saying, sometimes and in some places... There's a higher truth than being right. Now, let's go back to the passage. And I'm going to show you how you apply those principles. So how do you handle it when you are dealing with a, an issue where good Christian men differ? Maybe even sometimes good Christian men that you love and honor and respect differ on an issue. How do you resolve that? If we're both looking at inspired, infallible, and errant, totally sufficient, and authoritative word of God. Well, the first thing you do is not focus on the differences between good Christian men. And this is what I've been learning here at Calvary and learning in this group. You focus on the things that good Christian men agree on. You focus on the things that all good Christian men agree on. And there's lots of them. The truth of the matter is there's only a few things that good Christian men do not agree on. Christian men want to remember the definition because there are people that claim to be Christian that don't meet the definition. So let's look at our passage and let's see what all Christian men, good Christian men, agree upon. The first thing all Christian men would agree upon upon this passage of Scripture is that this is a very serious issue. All you have to do is look at the language through this. It is very firm, strong, direct language. It is clearly, in the writer of Hebrews' opinion, a very significant and important issue. But not just that, all Christian men, all Christian men, good Christian men would agree that this is a warning that's meant for Christians. Look at, look at verse 1, chapter uh, 3, verse 1, it was pastor's verse last week. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly call. Uh, then you look on down to verse 6. Uh, so Christ was faithful as a son over his house, and whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and boast of hope until the end. Verse 12, later on, take care, brethren. 
and on and on it goes throughout the passage, multiple references to the fact that all Christian men would agree this warning is for Christians. The second thing that they would all Christians would agree upon is that this portion of Scripture is talking about a place for the Christian that is very, very dangerous to be in. Now, it doesn't tell us where that place is exactly. And it doesn't give us an explanation of that place, what it is exactly. And it doesn't tell us how it is we will arrive there and when we will arrive there and what will happen when we do arrive there. But it does tell us pretty cleanly, you, nobody would differ or question that. It tells us that this place that it is talking about is a very dangerous place. You look at some of the words that are described. Here it is uh, in verse 12 lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart falling away. Those, those should strike fear in your heart when you read those words. That's dangerous. Whatever it is, wherever it is, however it happens, doesn't really matter. It's dangerous. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be there. Here's, here's some more. Uh, if we hold firm and fast the beginning of our assurance until the end, and then he gets a little sarcastic in 17, 18, and 19. And he basically says, well, who, after all, who do you think you are? Don't presume upon your standing with God that you're never going to find yourself in a dangerous place because who are these people I've just been talking to you about that I just quoted this historical account about? These are people who were miraculously cared for God in the wilderness for 40 years. The Bible tells us their clothes did not wear out. Their shoes did not wear out. Tells us that God provided food for, uh, meat for them and, and manna for them and water for them. For 40 years, he miraculously provided for them, demonstrated his... his um, presence with them confirmed his selection and his choice of them over and over and over again for 40 years and yet what happened over and over again they found themselves in a very dangerous place the third thing all christian men would agree upon this passage is that it is absolutely without question God's will that we do everything in our power to avoid that dangerous place. Look, at, look there are multiple hard, direct commands that we are to take very specific, personal action to avoid that dangerous place. Look what he says in verse, in verse 8. Do not harden your heart. Do not. Now, in the Greek, there's two ways to, to give a negative command and say do not. One is just kind of soft and easy, and it's just like stop what you're doing. Don't continue to do what you're doing anymore. Just, you know, just stop it. The other way is to say never do it again. That's what God says here to us. Never do it again. 
It is a somber, serious, almost dire warning. Do not do it. Verse 12, take care. This is a command. And it's again, it's in a special Greek tense that means it's an ongoing, continual, constant effort. It's not something that you just do every once in a while or do when you have specific indications that you need to do it. It's to be continually on the lookout for anything that might move us closer to that dangerous place. Now, the dangerous place he tells us over and over again is the hardening of our hearts. You know how easy that is. Just don't read your Bible for a few days. Don't come to church. Watch a bad movie. Your heart becomes hardened. Oh, you haven't committed apostasy yet if it's possible but your heart is hardened in fact he tells us there's a process notice in in eight he says don't you do it don't you harden your heart make sure that you don't you're not doing things that don't harden your heart but that's not good enough look what he says in verse 13 lest any one of you be hardened that's the passive voice it means there are forces outside of you that will work on you to harden your heart even though you're not causing it there are other things that will cause your heart to be hardened i can't believe how our society and even the church has been hardened in the last 30 years to things that would have been an unbelievable disgrace. Let me give you a personal example. I don't know where my time is on this, but am I close to fine? Try to wrap it up. Wife and I bought this little machine. I call it cussing machine. It doesn't really cuss. It does the others. It takes cussing out of TV shows. Now, it also takes a little bit of dialogue out, but that's okay. Because I don't want myself and my grandchildren to be hardened by listening to cussing and swear words. Now, I know it shows my age, but when I was a teenager, politicians never cussed. They didn't even cuss on TV. You had to go to special theater called X... Don't you shake your head or I know you're old... X-rated theater to hear cussing and to see what any of your children can see any night on TV. Don't let your or their hearts be hardened. You can say all you want to them that cussing is bad, but if they hear it night after night after night after night, and let me tell you, they hear it at school. My granddaughters tell me things that they hear that I didn't even know how to say. We're not, well, that's not true. I did. But there were things, you know, we didn't say mixed company. So this passage, if we interpret this passage on the basis of what all good Christian men would agree on, It tells us to stay as far away from sin 
as we possibly can. It, it tells us that that is God's will, that we stay as far away from sin as we possibly can stay. That we take specific action and personal responsibility for making sure that ourselves and our household are not exposed to things that will cause their hearts to be hardened against the things of God. Now, guess what? No matter what position you take on the interpretation of this, if you take the interpretation that this is saying, well, you're going to lose out on some reward in heaven, as some do. If you take the interpretation of some, well, you're going to lose out on some blessings here on earth. If, if you take the interpretation that some say that there's a danger that you might even lose your salvation, guess what? If you take the approach I'm telling, it doesn't matter. We don't have to make a big deal out of those differences if we focus on what all good Christian men believe. Guess we'll all be doing the same thing, maybe for different reasons. I'm telling you, it's a difficult sermon for me to preach because you know what? Studying through this, I'm even more convinced that I'm right. really am but I've been more convinced for the first time in my life that there's a higher principle sometimes turn to Ephesians and then I'm going to close now before I read this passage I want to say there are some things that we need to fight for and there are a lot of things that we need to fight for. But you know what they are? They're things that all Christian men, men who believe the Bible is inspired, infallible, inerrant, and sufficient, an authoritative word, it is things that all Christian men believe we need to fight for. Not the things that some Christian men believe, and some Christians don't think we need to believe and fight, but some things that all Christian men and I don't know how many of you know what happened to the Supreme Court today. I told my wife, I think I'm going to start working on a sermon. How to live in the end times. Absolutely unbelievable. Not so much what has happened, but what is going to happen. We, we, church, we are going to have to fight that battle. It's a good thing we're getting out of this school. Because it's not very long when the, when the government's going to say, if you don't accept homosexuality, you can't meet in a school. And I'm not supposed to talk money around Calvary very much, but there's a time when pretty soon the government's going to say, if you don't accept homosexuality, you aren't going to get a tax exemption. And you're going to have to pay taxes on that beautiful building over there. That's coming. Now, with the time, I'd say that was 20 years. What's happened in the last 10, I'd say it's maybe five. It's going to happen. So there are some times that we need to stand and fight. But we don't want to fight over every little detail. We fight over the fundamental things that all Christian men, again, remember the definition, because there are a lot of people, Jesus said this, a lot of people say, Lord, Lord, aren't going to enter the kingdom of heaven. A lot of people that claim to be Christian that are not Christian men. So just because they claim to be a Christian man, they have to meet the definition. They have to be the Bible is infallible, inerrant, sufficient, inspired, and 
total authority in our lives. Okay. Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul has just finished talking about a lot of doctrine that really matters. And all, all of that doctrine really matters. So he's talked about all a lot of doctrine that really matters. But now he makes, he makes a turn here. Whoops. I'm not, it's not Ephesians. I'm sorry. It's, it's uh, Philippians. Turn to Philippians. I should have written that down in my notes. No, 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 it was, it was, it was Ephesians. Yeah, I was right. It's Ephesians 4. Did I say 4? Ephesians 4. I said 3, okay. All Christian men agree, it's 4. So he's been dealing with a lot of doctrine, and here he comes. Therefore, here comes the conclusion. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, therefore, the prison of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. yes. You see what we're talking about? All Christian men agree that Christians are supposed to stay as far away from sin as they possibly can. Do that with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. There's a higher calling than being right. It's preserving the unity of what all Christian men know to be true from the revelation of the Word of God. Let us pray. Lord, you know it's a hard sermon for me to preach, probably hard for our folks to receive and understand, but Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts, that we would be motivated to live a growing, sanctified Christian life, but that we would also be motivated, Father, to realize that not everything, not every little detail do we have to agree upon, that we can fellowship and love and serve and minister and worship together as we submit ourselves to the infallible and errant inspired, sufficient, and authoritative word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're staying up here.